This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. So you guys know I love Kerbal Space Program. Sure. For people who don't know what that is, that's that's a it's a it's a video game about building rockets and sending them into space, and sometimes they explode. It's good fun, fun game. But uh, you were so you were so excited to tell Jake about it. Yeah, it's he listened to the after show. I told him all about um, orbital mechanics and stuff. But uh, that's that's not what we're talking about today. I read an article from the lead designer for Kerbal Space Program Two um, about. This idea that she called pillars of game design, and in this article, uh, she talks about she talks about um, the process, the sort of the, the the conceptualization process of adding new features to to a sequel without diluting you know the core gameplay experience that people like from the original game. Yeah, um, it. Yeah, without XCOMing it. Um, and she kind of st- hits onto this idea of when you're adding a new feature, rather than saying what does this new feature do? The question you should be asking is, how does this new feature help the core gameplay experience? Now, we've all, probably everybody listening to this show has dabbled in in game design in, in tabletop or otherwise, you know, adding adding stuff, making your own house rules. I know it's a thing that gets talked about on the Night of the Opera Discord quite a lot. And reading this article got me thinking, you know, that's... It's kind of just as applicable to tabletop gaming as, as to as to a video game. You know, a lot of ideas that I hear about, you know, stuff to add to Delta Green or to to Fifth Ed or Eclipse Phase or any of these games that I play, they all add complexity. But I don't think I've ever seen anybody ask, "How does this help? What makes the game fun?" You know, complexity for its own sake maybe isn't isn't really something we should be striving for when we adapt games or design new ones. I was talking about I was joking about this before we started recording, but uh, I have like a three-ish part scenario series about Sacramento that I'm finally trying to rework into something other people could run. They have a habit of writing scenarios that are like just basically notes that I can run, but no one else could pick that up and run with it. So it's like, oh, well, it's good enough for me. Why would I work on it? So I'm going through and trying to you know add in all the stuff that other people would need. And one of the things I realized is I'm actually missing a bunch of, if the players follow the ideal path from start to finish, it's, it's it, they can do it but if they go off the path it requires for the handler to you know like you know ad lib so i'm trying to give the handler some pieces so they don't have to make it up as they go along but using but i should really take a look at it through this lens and say as an example without spoiling anything like there's a guy who's dead and you can talk to the person who did the funeral but like if adding the funeral the pastor gives you more clues then that helps the central these helps the central investigation but if it's just a character that players can talk to with no reason, I probably shouldn't add it. I think that's just kind of the same idea. And Delta Green, the pillar is the investigation, hopefully. That's certainly one of my pillars that I try and keep in mind when I when I write. How do you tell um, when when you're writing something? How do you tell if you're if you're adding content that supports that core gameplay pillar, or whether you're just whether what you've added doesn't really just 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 kind of makes things more complicated how do you tell when you're in the thick of it in in the middle of writing something 
Uh, if it's boring to me, then I usually don't write it. That's fair. Because if it's boring to me, then there's no way I can make it exciting for the players. Yeah, that's that's that sort of goes back to your axiom of the max. Of like, if it's boring to you, it's probably gonna be boring to the players as well. Yeah, and I understand that some people disagree with that because I've had scenarios that I ran and didn't think were that much fun, but the players demanded that I write up because they really enjoyed it. So it's clearly not always the case that what's boring to me is boring to other people. But generally, the reason why I like writing short form things for Delta Green is that, and for any game, is that I can skip doing all the really soul-crushingly dull, like, the the priest's, the hex color of the, his, his coat is XYZ at the funeral home, and oh uh, if you uh, yeah. look at, and if you look in his pocket, he has three mints. <laughs> the exhaustive detail. Uh, this Pathfinder Adventure Path I'm running through with my, my table group in real life. We keep running into these, these NPCs that the text assumes we're just going to murder, and then the DM keeps having to flip ahead and going, oh, sorry, they gave me six paragraphs of this guy's backstory that you have no possible way of learning. I got to flip ahead to the next part you can actually use. This comes up a lot in descriptive text of physical spaces. Yes. Usually descriptions, te- descriptive text of a physical space will be a single paragraph or two paragraphs, and it will be the information that the players learn when walking in. Mm. In probably in the middle of a paragraph explaining the room's backstory and then all the hidden details that they can find if they investigate, which is very frustrating when you're trying to run the game because you have to extract what's available from immediate observation from a morass of either fluff or hidden information. Whatever happened to the old style of having a little box of descriptive text that you read to the players when they get to the next um, of the dungeon? Those boxes got those boxes weren't so little. They got so long that um, everyone really hated them and they stopped doing them. We talked about this in a very early episode where you remember you remember yeah you remember when I said um, that I read an article where the guy said you have three sentences to capture your players' attention. So you're talking about the descriptive text in rooms and stuff. What I've tried to make like personally, what I've tried to do is use um, like the use like the cliche or the ideal versions of things. So for example. I think most of us who've seen movies and TV shows can picture the typical like two-story strip motel with you know exterior-facing doors and all the rooms. That's a pretty iconic like feel. Oh yeah. So I just say that's what it is. And if the GM wants to embellish, you know, an ice maker here and a you know a you know pool in the backyard, fine. If it's important, I'll put it in there. But if it's not that important, I just give them enough to get the the feel of it, and that's that's all you need. So one of the things about this blog post is that fun rocket gameplay is actually just one of four design pillars they have. And something that strikes me is that what they're saying about the colony system in Kerbal Space Program 2 is that it's going to satisfy all four of these design pillars in one way or another. And it occurs to me that in order to stave off boredom and pursue a really interesting design, a good thing would probably be to develop at least a couple of design pillars, like two or three maybe, and then see whenever you add something, see if you can get it to fit all all of them. Yeah, I was going to say what we, I think we all agree a design pillar for Delta Green is a cool investigation. Um, what else would we put? Like if we were going to make four pillars of Delta Green, what else would we use? Ooh, okay, okay. Now, I suspect we're not all going to agree on the same four pillars, but this is an interesting exercise. Let's, let's pursue this. Yeah, I think that I think that's with the thing is that we're all going to have something else. And I'm sure our listeners might, uh, might have their own four pillars as well. So I encourage all of you listening, you know, don't, don't just use our pillars. Think of your 
your crucial elements of of Delta Green or or whatever game you happen to be playing with your friends that that speak to you and that you think are the most important. This is just examples. So investigation's definitely one of mine. We could um, we could we could yeah. each pick a pillar because there's four of us. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. So we each pick a pillar, yeah, and then well, we I've get already got investigation. So the so. pillar of the green box. Well, then you got to pick a different one. Well, then there's not four of us. There is four because if each of us picks a different pillar. All right, I'm going first. So at the top of the order. Boom. What do you want, Tom? I'm going to say a feeling of paranoia and or conspiracism. Ooh, that's good. Okay. Would you lump horror in with that, or would that be separate for you? Uh, yeah, I would say that's the specific kind of horror I would want to. Yeah. For. Uh, as the person who's next, I choose investigation. Yeah. Okay. But specifically, investigation that is interesting, you know, evocative, good, and and also doable. But the players can actually learn what's happening. All right. All right. Max, show us your pillar. The thing that I love um, is the moment of collision, the place where the endless planning stops and the players metagaming to avoid the threat stops and they are confronted with something and this can be when i when i when i first started running delta green this happened at the very end when the players were all tired and wanted to go home and wanted to just sideline the most important part so i've been very aggressive about moving it forward and i think that in my best scenarios now this is something that happens at the very beginning because there's lots of people who think that this game should be about a subtle build-up from nothing to something, but running that first hour of nothing is so unbelievably torturous that I don't want to do it anymore. So from I, I and and it and it it's it comes back to me not being not living by my own principles because one of the first principles I established when I got on that when we did this show was all marshmallows, the Lucky Charms with only marshmallows in it, and so I need to come back to my core principles of oops all high points and i don't mean and i don't mean the eat cannon so that's my pillar that's good that's really good what about you will Ooh, okay i really gotta think about this now because you guys have all said the thing that i was thinking i was gonna say for mine you like puzzles don't you that's I what i noticed do. i do like puzzles puzzles are fun you like to take things that are like a um something that you find interesting and then like twist it because like you have the button which is about a you know, you 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 think that the concept of um, predestination and closed timelike curves is cool. You have the terror from the deep, which is about the terror. Yes. You have the winning scenario entry that you did, which is about the big hole that opened up in BC and the, about the actual cave that actually exists. That's right. And about cool prehistoric creatures. So. I, I, perhaps my pillar then could be uh, the intersection between uh, the the real world and I guess the the fantastical, the supernatural. You know, having this idea that there's this world that looks normal and perfectly fine and every day, and then underneath it, there's this this boiling, roiling current of weird shit and aliens and monsters and ghosts and stuff. And the point where those two sort of meet the sort of the, the threshold between them the interface between them that i think is kind of where my scenarios live so that's my pillar my pillar is the uh the the intersection between the 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 normal and the and the fantastical if it doesn't have some element of weird or mind-boggling or 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 wonder or terror to it then i don't think it's a very good delta green mission so there that's my pillar so our total is 
one of investigation, one of conspiracy horror, one of the moment of collision, and one of the intersection between the regular and the supernatural. I think that's a pretty good description of Delta Green. I'm trying to think if there's other games that it also applies to. Uh, I think the main thing that distinguishes Delta Green from something like Unknown Armies or Esoteric Enterprises or World of Darkness is that is that investigation component because those other games are about other things. Yeah, yeah. I would say none of us really picked it, but for a lot of people, a pillow of Delta Green is that federal agent badge backing kind of role play. Vice just being oh yeah like a vigilante or a superhero or whatever. I would say that's what distinguishes Delta Green definitely from other games in its immediate that it's immediately descended from that's the main thing that distinguishes it at least um from the perspective of what the average player is likely to encounter from a a call of cthulhu or other games in that family so one we're so then i guess when we're designing scenarios we can be thinking does this support one of the pillars or is it superfluous and if it supports one does it support more than one yeah because i know that we talk about we just we had just had a conversation about how there's lots of details that don't really help and are just kind of a waste of time but sometimes details are really helpful for establishing the fictional world that the unnatural is infringing on like your use of the of the, the various real life prehistoric sea creatures in the elder things cave we talk a lot about the show about like the way of the knife and you know how at least my advice and I think most most of our advice is always like write a bunch and then cut aggressively but that doesn't if you're like not sure where to cut trying to look at what the pillows of your scenario are or you know stealing ours or make up your own it's a free country and then cutting around you know look at all your elements and if, if something doesn't meet any pillar definitely cut it if it only meets one pillar how can you either you know do you cut it or can you just adjust it so it helps with more pillars might help you guide that knife a little bit this isn't just restricted to writing scenarios either. This this also applies to if you if you are writing supplementary mechanics. Like for instance, uh, uh, a friend of ours, friend of the show, uh, Fincher, wrote a a very cool sub mechanic for uh, for for a sort of a forensic investigation mini game, and that yeah. was cool and that worked because that speaks to certainly speaks to the investigative pillar of Delta Green, and um, it also speaks to I guess it's, it works for, for some of the other pillars too, doesn't it? I think. I complained that it was too complicated, and then I did the exact same thing in Slam Dance Clam Bake. Yeah. But yes, if if you're if you have an idea for for a mechanic that you're adding to to fill up a kind of uh, a perceived shortfall in in a game such as Delta Green, um, you should keep in mind the pillars of what that you should keep in mind what your pillars of that game are, and ensure that whatever you're adding serves those pillars. And maybe you find that there's a particular element that you wish had more emphasis and thus you develop additional, you develop these, these extra rules or subsystems to kind of interface with the main game and put more emphasis on that aspect that you, you wish was more prominent. And that's cool. Just be aware that that's going to happen when you add new mechanics, regardless. I don't, I don't remember what episode we talked about it on, but we talked about like finding your own kind of fun. So people who know me from the show know that I don't really, I don't the, the pillar I engage least with is horror. So if I was playing, if I was looking for a game and somebody had, you know, their horror pillar was huge and their investigation pillar was small, I might say this is Delta Green, but it's maybe not the game I want to play in. So you may want to try to find that stuff out a little ahead of time, or at least kind of, you know, don't just you know Kramer in demand to know what their pillars are. They'll know what you're talking about, but ask them like what you know what are they corely trying to get to and see if it fits. 
That'd be cool though if you like what what are your, what are your pillars and then they just tell you because they know exactly what you're talking about that that suggests that you found the right group. They're like well they're like granite, marble, yeah, um, Victorian. That's a that's a man's siege name Usul who is the uh the base of the base something 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 base of a pillar. Something something waters of your homeworld. No, because um was 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 the name um Maudib or Usul the one that they said was a was a solid foundation for his tradition. Maudib was was the uh, was was the the mouse and also the moon and then Usul yeah. was was the pillar. But I'm the Fremen equivalent of hand eggplant. Well, no, 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 because Maudib only appears on one moon of Arrakis and the hand appears on the other. Right. All right. So uh, one of the things I do for my real job is design. Uh, and execute and write about exercises a lot of people when they hear that word think like richard simmons uh, but not that kind of exercise so i'm going to keep it like really generic uh try to keep it generic and i think as i've designed these exercises i'm usually the one kind of leading a group the design team through the process and i, I i'm always in the back of my head going oh that's exactly like designing a uh, you know delta green the role-playing game scenario a lot of similarities there so i just kind of wanted to talk about some of them and see if you guys agree or if i'm crazy or kind of go from there but so an exercise is just something you do to prove or validate either like a, a policy or procedure or capability so like a policy is like you know a rule or like a law right and a procedure is like how you do a thing and a um, capability is like a thing that you might do so um, as an example like say you're a town and your job is to clean up the roads after a storm. Like, you know, everybody sees the trees come down during a storm. Somebody has to clear the roads. It's not just done all willy-nilly, hopefully. So like the capability is, you know, getting the debris, clearing all the debris. The rules are that you probably have some sort of a mandate from the government to keep the roads clear and keep public safety in mind. And the procedure is like, okay, you know, three guys go out in a truck, one guy chainsaws, one guy halls, one guy chips, whatever it is, right? So if you want to make a change to those, or maybe there's a new way to do things, or you got a new piece of technology, you got a new super fast wood chipper, or, you know, double-ended chainsaw, whatever, you could just go out and start using it. But there's, you know, there's a lot of issues there because if someone just arbitrarily decides, okay, now we're going to clear debris with uh, bulldozers instead of people, well, there's that cost. You have to buy bulldozers, and that's a huge expense for the town, cost a lot of money, right? So if you can do an exercise and prove or validate the fact that maybe bulldozers are more useful or your new procedure having a two-man team instead of a three-man team is better, that's why you would do an exercise. And it can be everything from like, just get five bulldozer experts sitting around a room talking about the process, right? Like a, a, around a table, They're literally called tabletop exercises. Or you could actually like borrow some bulldozers and knock a bunch of trees down and clear them out of the way and see what works. So again, super generic, but like that's an exercise and why you would do one. So in designing them, a couple of things strike me right away as like a similarity to game design. You always have to have some sort of a scenario. So if you're going to do, I'm going to stick on the debris clearing one because it makes sense. We can always come up with a better idea, better example. You know, if the trees came down, you have to have a reason why. So maybe you say, okay, it was a hurricane. You know, that's why maybe, so maybe all the areas around surrounding you all have trees down, et cetera. And that's why you have to, you know, people in their homes might need to be rescued. So you have to, you literally have to design a scenario when you make an exercise and it has to be plausible. You can't just say like a thousand trees came down for no reason. Because then people don't buy into it. And if no people don't buy into it, people don't want to do it. 
which is the same with the double green scenario. If I came up with a ridiculous premise and all the players were like, well, this is just stupid. I'm not going to have a good time running that scenario. Uh, and it has to be, you know, it has to be plausible and realistic and believable, but also has to get you where you want to go. You know, in 364 days out of the year, the roads don't need clearing. So you can't just be like, oh, it's a perfectly nice day and none of the roads had to get cleared. Wow, this is, didn't even cost us a dime. That doesn't, doesn't help you out either, right? I can see the similarities already because you the ex the in the exercise design you must predict how people will respond to your actions. If you institute yeah. a policy, you must think: Will the players do as I expect, or will they do something else? Yeah, and you kind of got a plan for both. You know, when you're when you're writing a Delta Green scenario, you might have your ideal path in mind, but I have a feeling all of us come up with all right if they. If the ideal path is investigate the laundromat, they decide not to, how am I going to get it back to the laundromat? So like in an exercise, if the idea, you really want these guys to validate a three-man team and they decide, no, we're going on 10-man teams because we have all this manpower, you have to decide how to stop them from doing that. So, and you don't just want to say, no, you can't do that. That's because that's a, if you just do no without a but, it's not fair. So maybe in the exercise, you say there's half your, half of your people, half of your staff are trapped in their homes. So now your manpower is so low, you can't do a 10-man team. You know, kind of like a Delta Green, I hate getting a no for an answer. I want a no but, or a yes but, you know. And I think we talked about that on the show sometime long ago. You may be right. Yeah. Uh, one of the other kind of tenets of exercises is like you don't want to fight the exercise when you're when you're in it. So like you know, say someone puts together a big exercise and you you're there. It's the day of the exercise. You're doing it, and you, you realize, hey, this is kind of funky. This wouldn't really happen. Well, that may be true. So you definitely want to note that down. But if you just stop there and you're like, well, this is do what I'm going home. You've wasted all this time and resources. So a lot of times you want to say, okay, this isn't really exactly how it would work. We're going to keep going forward. And kind of the same, you know, we talked about like shark punching and stuff. You may get to a Delta Green exercise and realize that the premise is a little silly or that your character wouldn't really be here. But your options are like go home or suck it up and have a good time playing the game. So sometimes you have to kind of make that, you know, you have not fight the scenario in Delta Green. Well, it's like I said that I think we all, I think we've all touched on this at some point. The trick is to start the scenario where the first interesting choice happens. So rather than giving people an opportunity to just negate the premise, you know, by saying, hey, do you guys want to go to a dive class today? Hey, do you guys want to want to, you know, by some contrivance, say that you're in this cave. If you if the if the entire scenario takes place in the cave, start the scenario in the cave. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that, you know, that can translate back to exercises because it takes a lot. It's a lot of time and effort and resources to design an exercise. So if you don't need a, if it's a hurricane and you don't need to do the four days before landfall, don't put it, just start the exercise at landfall. Or after landfall, if it's a debris exercise, there's no debris before the storm hits. So start it after the storm is gone. One of the fun parts. So it's always fun because you have to, when you're designing exercise, you have to come up with these, like these scenarios are almost never good. It's never like, oh, the, the town just gave you an extra million dollars in your budget. Go do fun with it. That, that's never a good, it's never an exercise. It never happens, right? It's always, you know, a hurricane is hit. You know, there's a terrorist threat, an actor shooter, whatever it is. So you're always coming up with these like worst case or, you know, bad scenarios. And again, you want to make them realistic enough that they hit home with people so they take it seriously, but not, but you don't want to overwhelm them either. Like if I, I did an active shooter exercise, I wrote one where I kind of did four phases. I did like four separate attacks and we kind of broke after each one. And the first one was just like a guy with a gun shoots a few people. And that's pretty simple to respond to. And the fourth one was like literally like ISIS attacked, you know, like military tactics, like cover fire. Like it, that would overwhelm any local police department. But if I started with that and just overwhelmed the responders, well, there was no value out of that. Like, okay, well, we just all died. 
you know, 50 cops got shot and the terrorists took over the campus and then, you know, we're done. That seems like a thing that that, um, we're talking about, like scenarios in games versus scenarios in planning. But that sounds like something that um, knowing the kind of people who do law enforcement for a living, that sounds like 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 something they would like genuinely have fun with. Like, yeah, get a build like like basically wargaming, increasing levels of basically tower defense. Yeah, exactly. So think about, I'm going to bring back Delta Green. If I started you off in a scenario and I'm like, you look over to your right and two miles away, Cthulhu was wrecking the city. Like that might be kind of neat, but you also might be way too late to do anything. But if you, if, if that's like the fifth, the fifth entry in a four or five part scenario where the first part is investigation, you later ramp up to that, you know, it's coming. Like if you just design a scenario that just steamrolls your players because you want to talk about how cool Cthulhu is destroying buildings, like that's not that's not fun unless you've gotten there to a, you've gotten that way through a bunch of interesting you know design choices and they've had fun along the way and it's like the ultimate ending, you know. That sounds like it would essentially be Adam Zombie Smasher. The thing you are testing with the exercise is how efficiently yeah. can you get everybody out of the way, not how efficiently can you stop the problem. Yeah, Adam Zombie Smasher, for those of you who are not familiar, is a game that was enormously influential on both Tom and myself. Oh, uh, fantastic game. Fantastic game. It is a it is a, a game where you play as a uh, commander of like a, a military and an alternate history um, kind of... It, it, it's sort of vaguely implied that it's like some kind of Latin American dictatorship, like a banana republic. Uh, you are in the futuristic command satellite as the zombie outbreak takes over the country, and you've got to evacuate as many people as possible uh, while keeping the Zeds off them. And it's a it's a very challenging game because of the uh, the sort of the way the meta game works, where the zombies are much better at taking over territory than you are at saving people, and you've got to get rid of all of them if you want to clean the territory out. And so they'll overrun you very fast if you're not on your ball on the ball. And it's a great game because of the theming and the presentation even though the gameplay itself is a bit kind of dry it's got a really satisfying loop of like succeeding a map or you know succeed most part way through a map upgrade your guys do better the next time but also like you're gonna lose sectors and you're gonna you have to just deal with that it's also a 10 bucks on steam i would love to see one of you guys stream it because i'm not very good at it and i want to see how it's how it's meant to be played i've won yeah i would share with some at some point the, the uh, soundtrack the, is also by the Volcanics, so it's all surf music, which is really great. Yeah, the that company, game just loses personality and charm. Is uh, Blendo, and they've done a bunch of neat. Did Blendo do Thirty Flights of Loving and Gravity Yeah, Thirty Flights of Loving. Yeah, um, that's him. Flotilla and Quadrilateral Cowboy. I don't know the other one. Quadrilateral Cowboy is the latest one from him. Yeah, that is the one where you're the hacker and you use a like a lap, basically like the lappy from a strong bad email to do hacking and yeah. Um, I remember I've not, I've not played that game. I, 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 I like, I think I've, I've watched a video of it or something. So I don't know if it's, if it's, you know, up to snuff or not, but it looked pretty cool. It has a fun conceit where all the levels you're doing are not the actual heist. They're like a virtual reality simulation where you're practicing running the heist. And once you complete each one of those levels, you just go and do the actual heist off screen. They also did a really bizarre game called Air Forte, which is like a top down math game. But like, yeah, it's like fun. It's like one of those '90s edutainment games, I guess, where you're learning to spell and identify different countries' flags and do basic arithmetic. Yeah, like there'll be a bunch of bubbles and it'll be like with numbers in them, and you have to fly your plane through the multiples of seven while avoiding other planes or shooting your friends or you know whatever. It's very, very blendo. What can I say? 
Um, so uh, back to exercise design. The other thing I wanted to touch on is so let's let's think of a really complex exercise. I, I'll use my active shooter one as an example again. Um, there's a lot of moving parts of that. So you know you have the bad guys show up and start shooting people, and then you have res- responders, and you can't really game out the entire start to finish until you see kind of how the players how the guys responding are going to react but you can't plan on the fly you know a little bit but you really can't plan a lot on the fly so you come with this table it's called the MESEL msel master series of events list um master scenario event list yeah that's that's right the second time i do this for a living folks um and you plot out okay if the shooters you know the shooters are going to attack at you know 10 a.m uh, if the responders show up and do this, then this happens. If they don't do this, then this happens. And you even design things like if the players are having too easy a time, you design just like wrenches you can throw. Like, hey, maybe, you know, like my favorite one to do is, you know, most departments and most most people playing exercise have like a lead person. Like the movement's the police chief, the fire chief, the town manager. He knows what he's doing. He knows all the policies. So as soon as he shows up, you tap him on the shoulder and say, you're sick. You're, you're out of the country today. And he's out of the scenario. His second guy's got to deal with it. He may not know all the policies as well. That uh, was in um, We Were Soldiers. They're doing the the exercise or whatever, and the, the, yeah. the colonel walks over to the first guy in the helicopter, and he pokes him and he says, bam, you're dead. Second yeah. guy, what do you do? And the guy's like, uh, bam, you're dead. What do you do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was in uh, Parks and Rec did it as well. There's an exercise, uh, exercise episode of Parks and Rec, which is hilarious. Um, and they did it there too. Um, so, you know, that's again, very similar to scenario design in Delta Green is like, you know, while you're not, while maybe you're not going to chart out in Excel with all these events and you could, but you're going to at least maybe have some, okay, if they don't engage here, how do I get them back on track? Or if they do this thing, what happens next? You know, all those scenarios I've read have some sort of a, you know, they're, generally they're not like just a novel you read and then you go run for your players. There's some back and forth there. Some some forethought, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Another interesting kind of crossover between exercise design and role-playing game design is um, sometimes you have to like build a game into the scenario a little bit. So if you're not going to actually have every single police officer in the area respond because that's wicked expensive, you might design like little playing cards or index cards that have like, you know, a half dozen responding officers or half dozen police or, you know, 25 police officers. And you might hand them one or two at a time to people say, okay, these guys are here now. Where do you put them? These guys are here now. You might like dole out resources. And there's even a a exercise type called a game funnily enough where you kind of do that like you over the course of like a week you might have resources and you have to shelter people okay well you need you need to do 10 things today but you only have three red square three red you know red lego pieces and five green lego pieces and each red has to be with the green you know and they can't have you know that's like a it's like a it's like a fire team and uh it's like a fire department unit and um you know police unit have to stay together to do something ready to deploy your resources and those can be pretty fun to develop as well you're literally making a board game at a board game at that point lego pieces work really well yeah one of the things you lose out in online play in delta green is the ability to use to- tokens and counters for shit that would be very easy to do in real life because if you're trying to use tokens in roll 20 then you might as well have like descended into hell and you know <laughs> yeah. be caught in like an ice storm while satan gnaws on the leftovers of brutus because that's real that's an awful experience and it's not fun but in real life having like a bowl of you know red dice or blue dice or poker chips or whatever to represent different resources is fun yeah and it's a fun you know you're like i used to for my tabletop in-person games when i used to do those when i had people uh usually we take like i I bought a bunch of cheap little like like mancala bead size things of different colors those were those were great 
Yeah, but they're flat. I mean, marble. Yeah, no, I, I know the ones you're talking about. For yeah. those of you not familiar, Mancala Mon- uh is a board game uh, played with a row of wooden. It's a, it's like a wooden tray that you move marbles down. It's a surprisingly um, in-depth game. It's a little bit like backgammon almost because it's all about like moving pieces yeah. down a row. Surprisingly in-depth for um, what looks like a very kind of shallow, no pun intended, game. <laughs> yeah. So the picture like a marble, but cut it in half, so it's flat on one side. <laughs> yeah. Um, the old Pokemon card game had a similar token to measure energy. Oh, really? Yeah, the flat blue marbles. Yeah, they had a bunch. Of, they had a couple different colors, didn't they? Am I blue and yellow, I think. Okay. I don't ever. I don't learn the rules for that game. I thought they had them for type, but I might be misremembering. So like, there were green ones for grass type. You, you may be right. I like I said, I don't have a terribly sophisticated knowledge of this experience. <laughs> Neither do I. I never actually played it i'm just dimly remembering from 15 years ago or 20 years ago however long it was so i, I truly wish um so again i spent a lot of my time when I'm doing exercises kind of dragging other people through this process because like i don't know everything but the police response to an exercise to a to a disaster i'm going to bring in a police person and they're going to help with the police side of things and the same with fire and t- town i just know the process right so i'm always explaining this to people and bringing it through and like there's definitely been a few times where i wished i could have used like i've definitely i've definitely pulled things the other direction in terms of like i've used my role-playing game design brain to get things to work in an exercise design thing but it's a lot harder to get people like if i want, if I want to use the same analogy to explain to like a cop then i gotta go all the way back and explain like you know what here's what, here's what like, a bond it's not, is it's not gonna happen yeah like crap so it only, it only really works for me in the other direction because just because there's not an understanding uh in the public safety world of <laughs> nerdy role-playing games well i think that in in military wargaming both in the sense of like actually having figures on a table but also just in um the larger context of of doing imaginary stuff there is the use of simulated probabilities of things like even people who don't yep play those games will understand like there's a 30 percent chance that this happens so we need some kind of randomization method yeah we actually that's a really important uh, we did a big mass so we did a, a truck bomb drove into a building that blew up and everybody got trapped inside so we had a bunch of college students as role players laying around the rubble um and every time we know roughly what the casualty rate would be they're like say out of every 10 people numbers, i'm making these numbers up but for example you know three are going to be dead two are going to be critically injured two are going to be medium injured and three are going to walk away like walking wounded. And obviously you need to get the critically injured ones dealt with faster and people who could walk away. But in order to kind of randomize that, um, we used, I mean, we, did, we had cards, we shuffled the cards up and handed the cards out kind of face down. They yeah. flipped it over when they got there. But you could, you honestly could have just like, if I'd had dice, I could have just walked through and been like, all right, if I roll a six, if I roll a five or a six, you're alive, you know, whatever. It would be the same way to do it. I, I actually think that um, the drawing of lots or cards or chits or whatever from a bag is a in in many in many rules cases a better randomization method than dice because it um it if if it, it it's it's more commonly used in wargaming i think like i know that um uh i ain't been shot mom and the other uh two fat lardies games have an activation system where uh you have all of your tokens in the the bag one for each like unit of guys in your force and you draw them and you take turns activating but then if you draw one of the officers you can move more guys to like affect the role of leadership and then there's other stuff in there that that causes other random outcomes and i actually like that for scenario design because it's a good because one of the one of the problems is that if you have if you have dice and like a table of results 
where the results can't happen more than once, then you find yourself just being like, okay, six can't do that, seven that already happened, and just keep doing it. But if you have this set that automatically diminishes, that's better. Yeah. Oh, and it also feels like so Eldritch Horror has a when you draw when you when you have monsters on the Eldritch Horror, you reach into a bag and draw the monster out. But you could totally roll on a table for that, right? But when you draw the monster, it feels a lot more like you've made this choice, and if it's bad, it's like your fault. Whereas if you just roll the dice, like oh whatever, it's totally it's totally random. There's more anticipation. Random, yeah. Because it it it's it's when you draw it out of a bag, it's direct because um the the reveal is a literal reveal. Whereas when you're looking at it on a table, you roll a die <laughs> yeah. and then you look at a, you look at a chart. It just yeah, it just feels more visceral, right? <laughs> I, f- I feel like I I could face more blame for drawing like the horrible zombie monster than uh rather than rolling it. You know the uh, the last thing I want to bring about exercises is an exercise isn't really done until you we call it a hot wash or a debrief. Um. And I know, Max, you, you do this a lot in Delta Green games. I do too. When I'm done, if I have time when I'm done with the Delta Green scenario, especially if it's, if it's not one I've, I wrote, then I really don't care. But if it's one I wrote or a friend has written, I always want to say, okay, hey, great, great game. Thanks for coming. What'd you think? Because I want to know if they're like, hey, that was a cool scenario, but this was totally stupid or this didn't work or I didn't understand this. I want to make it better for the next time. And we do the same thing in exercise design because the whole point of this is, remember, we're trying to validate this this policy procedure or, or doctor or um, capability. So if I don't get feedback from the players on what worked and what didn't work, then it's not going to matter, you know? But I think that's, you know, and I always tell people, or I get, a, I get asked a lot in the night of the night of the opera discord, like, Hey, can you look at the scenario? How do I make it better? And the answer is almost always uh, edit it as aggressively as possible, like revise it or run it and then revise it or iterate, iterate, iterate. Cause like, you're never going to get a winning scenario on your first shot. Like you've got to, you know, you've got to go through it and look at what was good, what didn't work, what worked, and you know, cut or edit or add things or you know, you got to debrief. You guys still, do you still do that, Max? I've been trying to, but lately I feel almost completely drained of energy at the end of each game, and I don't want to anymore. It's gonna be tough, and you can do it the next day, but then everybody's forgotten what they did, which is true in yeah. real life as it in exercise design as it is in game game running. One of the one of the problems with this method is that uh, the 90% of the feelings the players are going to have about the game are based on what happens at the end. The ending, whether or not the rest of the game was good, the ending determines how people feel about it. So if you have a good, if you have a really good scenario but a shitty ending, people are going to feel bad. If you have a bad scenario that has a really cool ending, people are going to feel really good. I wonder if you could debrief like at milestones. Like if, if there's a good halfway point, you'd be like, all right, let's take a break. Everybody take it, you know, get a drink of water and let's talk for five minutes about how's it going, going and like design wise. I wonder if that would break it up too much. You couldn't get back into it or if you get some value out of that. I don't know. What's funny though is that um, I've been feeling drained of energy after running Delta Green, but after running other games, I feel excited and I want to like something, do, so, do something which I've never done with Delta Green, which is write up a play report. Yeah, but a play report is similar to a uh, you know, a, a debriefing document or after action report, et cetera. But it's not. But it's not even just like the Delta Green system. It's specifically Delta Green because I ran uh, an alternate setting game uh, two days ago, and that felt awesome. Well, I remember your first Gen Con. You ran the, after your first game. You were like, "Oh my god, this is fun again!" Exactly. <laughs> so hey, when we go to Gen Con in 2021, you know, it'll we'll, we'll get to see that again. Yeah. Turns out, Tom, you weren't missing. You missed missed out on absolutely nothing. Oh oh no. Let's see here exercises so i mean that's kind of all of my exercise thoughts and just how they kind of you know mirror the the world of game design um i have a, i have a feeling that any kind of design follows a similar set of you know overall poly, you know rules or 
Like if we had someone here designed other things that I don't know, I can think of any other thing that exists that's designed, but they'd have similar stories. But I do have a question for you, Kevin. Yeah, sure. So when you're writing a scenario, one of the things is one of the choices you have to make is are you going to leave just like scratch pad notes for yourself so you can run it or do you write it up as a whole thing for other people to run it? So my question is, to what extent do you typically write up an exercise for other people to run later on? Like, are you designer and runner, let's say? Yeah, so typically I'm designer and runner, but, you know, document, if nothing, if something's not written down, it didn't happen. So there's a lot more documentation we do for an exercise. So because like, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to write a manual for the players. This explains what they're doing in their role. And that'll probably have stuff like if it's a hurricane, hey, here's the name of the hurricane. Here's the map. Just get them kind of like lay of the land kind of thing. I'm going to need people in the room who are going to evaluate because people are going to be making choices and doing things. And the evaluators have to make sure they're doing it in accordance with procedure and they're doing it properly. So I need, I need a manual for them. So like they need to know what they're going to be evaluating on, right? That kind of thing. So there's actually a lot of documents to get created for an exercise. If I was doing something really small, I could probably wing the hell out of it like I do with Delta Green, but it wouldn't, the ending wouldn't be there. So like the end result wouldn't be as good. Whereas like my Delta Green scenarios, a lot of them are, a lot of the ones that I consider done, no one else could pick up and run without like an hour long conversation with me. Fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's probably why it's so not hard, but like, I feel, I don't feel a lot of need to fin- you know, finish for other people, some scenarios. Cause like they're done enough for me, you know, going that extra mile doesn't really get me anything else, you know, kind of selfishly. Um, whereas if I had someone who was like, oh, I need to run that in, in a month. Can you, can you finish it off for me? That'd be, that'd be different. I'm extremely selfish and I love writing up my scenarios because then sometimes other people will run them. And, (laughs) and I know, but, but the thing is, um, I've, I've very occasionally had players say after the fact, give me that so I can run it. Like I've had that happen with, uh, slam dance, which was a real positive experience for everyone involved. I hope. Uh, but I've had many more people find my scenarios after the fact and say, this is really exciting. I want to run this and then, and then go out and do it. So for me, I think that I get a lot of value out of producing a usable product that people can run without me in the room. Yeah, I probably would too, uh, if I finished more of mine. I think that it would, would be fun to use these exercise design procedures to make a scenario, but I don't know how many of them are formal or actually formal procedures that you have here. I think that if, Some, you, yeah. if you do have like a manual that you can just get the good parts out of instead of us having to read like an entire 200 page like DHS it's document about 79 pages. If we, if you have like a better, you know, like here are the part, cause you, you, you've done this. So you, you, you know, like these are the parts that actually matter. And these are the parts that they just put in for like compliance. So what's the irony is like the, the, the key things I would take away from exercise design is you, you do an initial plan, you do a concept and operations meeting, uh, where you just basically figure out the concept and, and the, um, I definitely didn't say that right. Hang on. I would just call it CNO. It's going to bug the hell of me if, if I get it wrong on, uh, in, in real life. Uh, concepts and objectives. Wow. There we go. Uh, you do a CNO meeting where you literally just lay out, like, what are we trying to exercise here? What are the objectives? Um, which in exercise design, you could just lay out the real basics. Like, all right, what's the, you know, that that's almost like the CNO meeting is almost like half of the arc dream system we've used before where you kind of lay out like all right what's what who are the players what's what's happened that kind of thing then you have an initial a midterm and a final planning meeting and we we, we kind of did this we started we started writing slam dance a long time ago we kind of started we did it over several kind of uh you know voice meetings and we kind of did lay out things in a, some sort of a sort of an order 
So you could kind of tweak those into like, you know, your first meeting could be like, just lay out what's happening in general. Then everybody, then you could break, everybody could break and kind of do homework on like creating. It's like, think about when we did the scenario design where we were kind of slow as like NPCs. Whereas if everybody just went, just went out for like two days and made some NPCs and then came back with them, did they be more fleshed out? But no one wants to sit around while you just come up with stats for people. I just, I disagree. I think that the NPCs, if I remember correctly, were the parts of Slamdance that were finished the fastest. It was the island, it was the island locations that took us the longest and some yeah, of the, the fine grain right. mechanics for flashbacks and stuff. So, I mean, the, the key thing with exercise design is like it takes, you know, this is for maybe two hour meetings and you can't just do this in eight hours for an exercise. So you can kind of do this. We could do the same thing in theory with um, a scenario where, you, you know, you come in, you get all the points that need to be done together, done, and then you break with like homework. Like, all right, you know, which is kind of what we did with, again, with Slam Dance. Like, all right, you know, Tom and Jake, you work on the you know, the, the bad guys, the Vodin, and, you know, I'm going to work on the map and Max, you work on the i forget what you're working on but you know we all broke into different things and you know did it that way so there's you could do things like that with with game design based off of exercise design but it would more just be like the general idea of like the general framework i'm not sure how many specifics would come would cross over kevin and tom one thing that i thought of uh after we did our segment on because you you just said you compared this to the other philosophy the uh arc dream one i think that one big difference between Arc Dream, both Arc Dream and what you're doing in Arc Dream, and the way I always did it, is that the Arc Dream instructions in the book are always hook first. Whereas yeah. with yours and with the one that I use in my head, it's more about what's the objective, what's actually happening, what's the you know the the actual story, and then you work backwards to the for, to the intro from there. And the thing I was thinking about is that the Arc Dream approach is important because a lot of both fan-made and published scenarios for this game and for other RPGs begin with a very anemic introduction. I found many times in my own scenarios, it's very hard to come up with a real exciting introduction and something that'll get the players interested and shock them out of their stupor instead of them sitting around waiting to find the actual adventure. Yeah, that does seem to be kind of the strength of the Arc Dream model is that it starts with an exciting hook and then it leads you through these kind of weird, interesting lines of investigation. And even if you don't have everything worked out, how it's going to end at the start, it focuses more on presenting exciting stuff for the players to dig into. Yeah, and I think like exercise designing is more like how we do it in our heads, which is you got to come up with, uh, like, what are you trying to exercise? What are your main concepts and big objectives? And then, you know, if you're, depending on what you're doing, you could you, your, your, your hook could be a tornado, a hurricane, an actor shooter, whatever. They could all get to the same place. So it's funny that the exercise designing is a little more like the way we do it in our heads, except for the fact that we exercise design takes a pretty strong turn towards, like, meet and then break off into working, you know, work on your own and then come back and meet and then work on your own. You know, which has worked out for us in the past too, design-wise. But we we didn't really do that like break off for homework kind of thing with um, when we tried the archery method. We kind of did it all in one shot. And I wonder if we would have got a different result if we'd gone like part way and then broke and then part way and broke. We'll just have to try it again. Uh, that's all I got. Yeah, I would be interested in using the exercise design methodology to do another scenario dev because I think it's it would be fun to compare the results of that to the results of the other method but it, it sounds from the way you're describing it that it may not be specific enough yeah i mean i think i think i would mainly just pull that the idea of like do a portion and then you know break for either a, a, you know an hour separately or like for a couple of days and then come back 
because it gives you time to like refine some things on your own um and then you kind of workshop everything collectively and then break again um that's the main thing i would try to bring over um because i'm just again i'm thinking about when we did we've tried the archery method a couple times and there's been some times where we just said oh we'll flush that out later you know but like if we took the time to actually flush it out it might drive the next part better so i'd, I'd try that sounds like it would be good if we could all get like an afternoon to handle that well my, all of us are you know living at our at our homes these days so i hope <laughs> <laughs>